Godliness with contentment is a great shame. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with this we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and ensnare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drowns men in destruction for this. For the love of money is the root of all kindness, for which some have strayed from the faith and the greediness, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But you, O man of God, see these things, and to see righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and justice. Fight the good fight of faith. They hold on to eternal life to which you were also called, and have confessed with confession in the presence of many Heart disease. When we talked about in that lesson, as kind of an introductory thing, how that, um, because the, the heart is kind of the central organ of the body, and it's obviously <clears throat> indispensable for sustaining life, that God in Scripture often uses the term heart in a figurative way, not to refer specifically to the cardiac muscle, but to use it to call attention to our inner being, our 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 innermost uh, the innermost part of us, where our emotions reside, where our thoughts are, where our mind is. Really, uh, a lot of times heart references. The mind of a person. So sometimes we'll call this the spiritual heart. Sometimes it's referred to as the biblical heart, just to distinguish it from uh, the physical, the literal cardiac muscle. And just like that muscle within us can be diseased, the same is true with that spiritual component that we have. The same is true with the spiritual heart. Sometimes that part of us can be diseased as well. We're going to spend some time periodically on Sunday nights addressing some of these heart diseases. And tonight we turn our attention to the heart disease of materialism. Let's talk first of all about the disease itself. We're going to look at uh, our text specifically from 1 Timothy chapter 6. Hope you have your Bible uh, still open there. And the first thing that I want for us to recognize and notice is that there is not anything inherently wrong with material wealth. I think some people have misunderstood what the scriptures teach about this topic in that respect. I have heard people uh, refer to uh, material wealth as, as almost being an evil thing. And that if anyone has more material wealth than somebody else, then that, that wealth needs to be taken from them and given uh, to someone else uh, forcibly. There's not anything evil about uh, the ownership of material things. As a matter of fact, there are, those, there are those in Scripture who were very materially wealthy, but who were also very righteous people. 
Just because an individual or, or group of people possess a lot of things doesn't necessarily mean that they're bad people. And we'll talk about how materialism can lead people into certain temptations and sins and things of that nature. But just having stuff is not in itself sinful. Matter of fact, it was said of Abraham in Genesis 13, verse 2, that he was, quote, very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. But Abraham is also known as the father of the people. He's also known as, as one who, uh, who was loyal always to God. He had his moments, as we all do, stumble from time to stumble from time to time. But he was a man of faithfulness. He's commended in Scripture. He was wealthy. Job. Job chapter 1 verse 3 is referred to as the greatest of all the men of the East. And that statement is made in terms of, or in the context of, a description of his material possessions. The writer referenced all of his possessions in terms of livestock and things like that. And it's on the heels of that that it says he was the greatest of all the men of the East. And we know that Job was a righteous man. He feared God with all of his household. And so let's get back at least first and straight in our minds that Paul does not say, specifically in verse number 9 of our text, he doesn't say those that are rich fall into temptation and a snare. He says those that are minded to be that. There's the key. I want for us to go through for just a moment some grammatical points from this text. I hope this doesn't come across as being tedious, but I think it's important for us to get the flow of what Paul is writing here. And so he begins in verse 9 by referencing those that are minded to be rich. That word minded means to purpose, uh, to will. And the construction of it is such that it references an individual who is obsessed with it. He, is, he continues to have this mind. He continues to have this purpose. The idea is one that is obsessed with obtaining more and more things for his own use. Now this is an attitude that an individual can possess without reference to how much that person actually does possess. And that's really a key to the heart disease of materialism. It really has very little to do with what one actually possesses. It has to do with how one thinks about possessions whether it's possessions he already has or possessions he desires for himself. It's about attitude, not so much about stuff. And so an individual can be guilty of what Paul warns against in 1 Timothy 6, 9, and he may not have very much of anything. But he can be minded to consume stuff for his own use. And so it's a matter of disposition, it's a matter of attitude. And Paul says an individual that is minded, that is obsessed, if you will, uh, with material wealth, falls into a lot of temptation. Alright, so minded is first. Now, he says that anyone who is minded to be rich, a present infinitive, 
that suggests an ambition for sustained prosperity. And so the idea there is that the acquisition of material things is what directs this person's energies. The acquisition of material things is what shapes this person's every decision. When I think about that, uh, that concept, that idea, I always go back to, uh, to my high school days. Because I can remember, especially as we became seniors in high school, and um, uh, <clears throat> people were talking about what they wanted to do with their lives, and where they wanted to go, and what they, you know, may, perhaps what they wanted to study in college, what they wanted to learn to do and to be. And individuals had all kinds of ideas about where they wanted to go and all of that. But what I particularly recall were the reasons why individuals wanted to do this, that, or the other. And they all revolved around money. Someone would say, well, I, wanna, I, I think I want to go and study this so I can be X person. I, I, I want to have X job. And then the other person would say, oh, you can't make any money doing that. You need to do this, that, or the other. That's where the money is. And everything that, that, all of those conversations were focused on that goal. What can you do to make for yourself the most money? Now again, there's anything wrong with having money. And Paul's not condemning that here, but he is condemning a disposition where that is the sole motivating focus for what a person does in life. Those that are minded, those that have, that have as their purpose, as their will, to do nothing more but to amass stuff for themselves, Paul says that is a dangerous disposition. Those that are preoccupied with that, Paul said, they will fall into temptation, into a snare, and into many senseless and harmful lusts or desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Is that where you want to be? Do you want to purposely make choices for yourself that increase your temptation? Do we want to make decisions about life that will bring to us not fewer temptations, but more that set us up to be dragged down, submerged, drowned by those covetous desires. Paul describes it as being caught in a trap that ends up destroying the one who is so caught. And he says that is foolish. This romantic infatuation with things leads to a multitude of problems which pierce the victim through with many sorrows. There may not be a passage that is more expressive of how materialism can rob us of peace and joy than this passage. Someone may say, well, that may sound all holy and, and, and all in theory, but in practice it has to be different. Well, we actually don't have to guess about that. Because Solomon put this to practice. If you'll hold your place in 1 Timothy 6 and turn back to Ecclesiastes chapter 2, we'll see how Solomon engaged in a materialistic pursuit of things. 
And he learned the hard way how deceitful and unsatisfying a life can be that is consumed by stuff. And Solomon eventually amassed a lot of stuff. But he, he got it in the process of pursuing it, or in the process of having it, he pursued more. And there was at least a period in his life where he was consumed by that. And here's how it ended up. Ecclesiastes 2, beginning in verse 18. He said, I hated all my toil in which I toiled under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who'll come after me. And who knows whether he'll be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. Now true, Solomon is the extreme example. But I want you to notice how he described his life in that period of time when he was obsessed with stuff. All of his work and all the results of it brought him no lasting joy because he knew that he would have to leave it all behind when he died. All of his wealth would someday belong to someone else and Solomon could not get over that because he had been so obsessed himself and so wrapped up in all of those things that he didn't want to leave the things behind. But he knew he had to. And so he, he kept tormenting himself with all of these questions like, how is the person who inherits my wealth going to handle it? What if he wastes it? What if he loses it? What if he tears down everything that I've built up? He was so obsessed with all of that stuff that he could not get those questions out of his mind and they haunted him to the point that he just despaired of all life. That's what a materialistic mind can do to a person. And the result of that is that it takes the joy out of your existence. If all we do is think about our stuff and worry about what's going to happen to it when we're gone, we're going to make our own lives miserable and probably the lives of those around us. And so Solomon saw not much more than a succession of dreary, taxing days and sleepless nights. It was as if he said, what is the use? What was it all for? Well, granted, that's the extreme. But I submit to you that that mindset can be in any of us. That attitude can be found in any person. That's what Paul talks about when he says those that are minded to be wealthy. 
So what's the response? We've identified the disease. What's the response? Go back to 1 Timothy chapter 6. And Paul talks about the other side. That here, here's the proper heart that we should try to develop within ourselves. Verse 6 of 1 Timothy 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For, he goes on in verse 7, we brought nothing into the world, we, can take, we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Now that's a tough passage, isn't it? Contentment is satisfaction with one's current situation. It's kind of the best way, simplest way I know how to define contentment. And it may be easily defined, but it is hard to do. You know how we generally tend to describe contentment or define it? Contentment to us a lot of times is that feeling that I'm going to have when I have just a little bit more than I have right now. I'll be content. I, I could be content if I just had, and you fill in the blank. But the very statement made like that reveals the fact that that's, that's not going to make us content. Because contentment is not something that you get at a store. Contentment is a disposition towards stuff generally. And it doesn't come by getting more stuff. See, that's how we generally define it. Oh, I could be content if I just had a little bit more than I have right now. No, <laughs> you won't. Because if that's how you define contentment, being just a little bit more than I have right now, then what happens when you get more? Then when are you going to be content? Well, by the same definition. When you get a little bit more than you have right now. Contentment is satisfaction with current situation, and it's something that must be learned. It doesn't come easily. Paul got that. He understood that. In Philippians chapter 4, he wrote about that. Philippians 4, beginning in verse 11, in, in the context of him talking about having just received a very generous gift from the Philippian church, he says in verse 11 of Philippians 4, beginning, Not that I'm speaking of being in need. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Notice he said, I've learned. I know how to be brought low, verse 12, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger. Abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Wonder how long it took Paul to be able to say that about himself. That I've learned to be content. I've learned how to deal with plenty and I've learned how to deal with loss. I've learned how to have a lot. I've learned how to have 
Very little. Well, I don't know how long it took him. But it had to have taken some length of time just because of his, his language, his terminology. I learned to be content. And so when Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, godliness with contentment is great gain, that's a process by which we come to eventually, hopefully, that state of having a, a, a better and more proper attitude toward possessions. One of the things that that involves is the need for us to distinguish between wants and needs, between luxuries and necessities. And Paul makes that startling statement in 1 Timothy 6, verse 8, when he says, With food and clothing we can be content. Can we? Could we be content with so little? It's a hard question. And the difficulty of answering that question probably reveals what the answer is. Could we be content with that little? I haven't done much traveling uh, outside uh, the United States. Not much at all. One trip I made very um, long time ago, before I was even married, was to Jamaica. And uh, I, I went there uh, for a week uh, to preach and teach and do Bible studies and things like that. So we weren't in any of the tourist uh, areas, and I can recall going to visit people who were li <clears throat> who were living in villages that um, that that barely offered them any shelter at all. I mean, they might have had a, a piece of of tin that that covered the top that you know maybe kept the rain off of them, but that was really about it as far as shelter went. But they had food and they had clothes on their back. And I can remember, and so, you know, I'm these were members of the body of Christ that we, that we visited. And I can remember those people being among the happiest people that I saw on that trip. And I can remember thinking to myself, how can, how can somebody be that happy in those conditions? But they were. Which tells us that it's possible to be content with food and clothing. I, I heard Alan and, uh, uh, and David Krejci talking this morning. David just came back from flying around the world, it seems. Uh, but he was in India for a while, and they were talking about and Janice, too, from her trip. Uh, with Alan one time that they were that flying into one of the cities that you can look out the the airplane window and all you see are tarps. Those are people's homes. Now would I would I choose to live in a situation like that? No, I wouldn't.
But how would I respond if, for whatever reason, I ended up in a situation like that? Where that, was, that, where that had to be my home. Could I be content with that? Well, I, I have to dig down deep and be honest with myself. And I don't know if I could. If I couldn't, the fault would be with me. Because Paul says, with food and clothing, we can be content. But that's our choice. We have to choose that. We have to learn the process of contentment. And we live in a country, in a culture, that by and large doesn't really believe in contentment. We, we live in an environment where the constant message that we receive is, we, we just got to get more. You just need more. Paul says it's important not to possess that mind. Those that are minded to just keep getting more and more and more are individuals that are setting themselves up for additional hardship and temptation and traps that can drag them down and drown them in ruin and destruction. Now, is he right or wrong? So how do, we, how do we fix this heart disease? Well, Paul gives us a couple of clues. One, he talks about godliness. Godliness with contentment is great gain. In other words, we need to emphasize the spiritual over the material. What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world but lose his own soul? Mark eight thirty six. Focus on the spiritual. It doesn't mean that you, that you give no thought and no focus on material things, but which one's more important? And then focus on what really lasts. See, Paul reminds us that we can't take it with us. We brought nothing into this world, we can take nothing out. Having that disposition ought to help us with our attitude towards stuff. Materialism. Yeah, I know, I stopped preaching tonight and started meddling, I know that. But it's like I said this morning, I'm just preaching to myself. I'm just letting you all listen in. Is your heart diseased by materialism? If it is, then you need to change the way you think. We need to turn our values upside down, perhaps, and learn to better appreciate what real riches are. Those are the unsearchable riches of Christ. And that if we have that, remember this morning? If we have that, then that's enough. Not anything wrong with having things. Not anything wrong with possessing things. What's wrong is when we are possessed by things. Find out which side of that equation you're on. 
And if changes need to be made, make them. Put your emphasis on things that are truly lasting. Things that will affect your eternity for the good. Emphasize those. Maybe you are not yet a part of the body of Christ. And maybe that's the case because you've been too consumed by material things. Maybe those things have been more important to you. Well, those things are going to decay. And at some point, you're going to leave them behind. But your soul is going to spend eternity somewhere. So make preparation for that. Come to Christ. Be immersed in water based on your faith in Him, your penitence, your confession. His blood will wash your sins away. If you're a child of God already, and something has gotten in the way of your relationship with God, then get rid of that thing, whatever it is, because it's not worth your soul. And if we may pray with you tonight, then let us do that. As we stand and sing, won't you come? Pray, pray.